We don't need our job to provide fulfillment or the student relationships to provide fulfillment. And when we stop looking for that fulfillment in the job, only then I think can we truly thrive in our career and show show up as our best selves with our students. And so we kind of just have to eliminate all these thoughts where we assume where we know what others are thinking so that we're not saying, you know, because that's then what leads us to say, oh, you know, if only if only kids cared as much about this as they do about Fortnite. Oh, if only parents cared as much about this, only if they only treasured the studio, if they only valued what I was doing. We just, we actually don't know. And, and I think we have to be honest about that. Hey, Nate, so recently I received an email from someone and they wrote a really Im- kind of impassioned thought about their career and art industry. And as I was kind of contemplating what this person said, I thought, man, this would be a good thing to discuss on the podcast. And so I got permission from this person. They were 100% mm. fine with it. And uh, I think I just want to start this episode reading you know, some notes I took on this email that was sent to me uh, and, and kind of give the main ideas. Because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people because I've heard variations of this over the years and truthfully Beautiful. have even felt it myself a little bit. So um, this person, I'm just going to give the, like, the main ideas is that he has this feeling and um, that he's dissatisfied with the music education industry or more specifically the you know, kind of private music lesson industry, um, mm. a little bit discouraged. And it stems from this idea that he feels that parents don't really have, um, they don't have a lot of care for the things that they're enrolling their kids in. Like they don't care about the lessons. They don't value what I'm doing. They don't value it like sports. They don't value it. Like they do other things in their kids' lives. They don't, and it's evidenced by the fact that they don't make their kids practice like that sort of thing. Feels that music lessons are undervalued. Um, And what he feels like is, you know, a studio can even be thriving, making good revenue, have good retention. But at the end of the day, the lessons aren't valued. They don't care. They'll just walk away. They won't think twice about it. And, and what he says is, I want clients to be hungry for it. I want this to feel like an equal exchange. Like I'm giving all this value to these kids. I'm improving the studio every year. Like I'm doing all these things. Um, right. And he wants, this is almost a quote, the reward of feeling that people are really happy and desperate to buy his product. And mm. you know, he just ended the communication by saying, I'm looking for feedback on this. Maybe I'm projecting this in other people but I feel like I'm doing all this work to make the kids experience better and easier. And, you know, it's just our culture, the lack of work ethic, the kids, the parents, um, Mm. it just is making him feel discouraged. And he feels like the majority of families and and people that would enroll their kids aren't taking this seriously. And he just said, you know, I'm looking for help in your point of view on this. And so I thought, you know, let's do a whole episode about this because I think a lot of people can resonate with what he's saying there. So as you hear this, you know, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you? Yeah, Daniel, you know what I hear in this? And I and, and you forwarded over that email and I listened uh, and thought about his story. And I think that at the core for me, what I hear there is this sense of purpose and mission and life. And honestly, just wanting to feel like uh, they're building a community that values the same thing. And so... I think there's a lot of cool nuances to this story, and I'd love to hear your sort of take on it first. Um, mm. But what I hear is um, both uh, a real desire 
to build a like-minded community of families, but also I hear in there a little bit of abdication of responsibility because there's a feeling of like, why isn't everyone just beating down my door mm. um, and desiring it as passionately as I am? And and so I'm going to get into both sides of this, but I really have a, I, I, I empathize greatly with this story because mm. I think as you put it before, we're all feeling to a degree that we want to build a community that is passionate about music education as we are. So let's start yeah. with you and what you heard in it, and, okay. and, and we'll just see what we discover. I feel like I've heard a variation of this in the, in the kind of teaching community over the years, which is I only want to teach kids that are serious about music. I only want totally. to work with families that are serious about music. And yeah, we can all empathize with that. Um, and so maybe an idea that I'd frame this whole thing with is that and this isn't just with the career or this particular thing. Anytime we feel down or discouraged about anything, I think this is an opportunity to slow down and really examine what's going on there. Right. Um, and so first, you know, I just want to give accolades to student that they actually took the time to process out how they were feeling. Yes. And to put in such sharp relief, some of these, um, difficult emotions, uh, I personally, I, you know, I'm not projecting this onto him. I call these like dark thoughts. Like I have dark thoughts mm. about my career or my work or, or things like that. And a lot of times I write these things down and either process them with my coach or process them myself. Just take time out of my life to process that. And yeah. I have three questions that I use to do this. Um, mm. And I'm just going to kind of briefly go through these three questions because what do you actually do? What does it actually mean to slow down? What should you actually do when you slow down? Um, so what's the question to ask here? Well, my first go-to question in a, in a situation like this is to say, why do you care so much? And by the way, I'm not referring to this particular person. I'm asking myself, like, why do you care so much about this? If, um, if you, you know, if you find yourself really upset or discouraged whether it's about, you know, someone pushing back on your makeup policy or it's just this overall thought you have about the industry in general, um, why do you care? Okay, so I'm going to yeah. tell a personal story because I, I definitely don't want to act like I'm sitting up on my high horse talking down. I'm going to tell you exactly how this played out for me. Um, so I did feel this way at one point in my studio. And for me, it boiled down to two things. So when I asked that question why I cared so much, it was two things. First, and this might seem weird, okay? So parent doesn't care about the lessons. They don't care about the studio. They don't care about music. They're going to unenroll. My first thing was I felt threatened by, fin I felt financially threatened by that thought that I had in my head about what they were thinking. I knew that my mm. livelihood was dependent on this six-year-old practicing. <laughs> so I felt as if I was in a hostage situation with my own clients. And when you feel right. that way, it's, hard not to begin to actually resent your clients and your students. So, so why do you care so much? Number one reason for Daniel was that. Number two, um, I was dissatisfied with that. You know, seeing an endless parade of beginners isn't satisfying for anyone. Um, and what I thought that I was seeing was that as soon as music got tough for the kids, they quit. So that's not a satisfying job. And Ooh. by my late 20s, I was already beginning to show the signs of turning into a jaded, bitter teacher just because I had the, you know, I had this thing like, oh, I feel threatened on one side. And then also I'm not really enjoying the job. Well, and, and let me just say, I'm not making any implication that this is what this person's feeling. 
I'm just saying that that's how I felt when I stopped and asked that question. It's just how I felt. And when I began to see these things myself, when I had the self-awareness kind of to understand what my thought patterns were doing to me and how unhappy they were making me, that was kind of the first step to recovery. So that's like question one. I bet you've got some thoughts. You want to jump in there? Let's. Well, uh, I'm just going to say I love, <laughs> I love your uh, your financial Armageddon point. You're like, wait a minute, they've got me at financial gunpoint, right? Yes. These people that are treating my yeah. livelihood as an extracurricular that they're willing to just cut with yes. no thought in mind. What I would say to that is, first of all, that's I love that because it's very open and honest about what your perspective is on their energy or or how we're translating energy into our own personal money story. And I would say my immediate response is, hold on a second. Like when we feel like, um, when we feel like we have a financial uh, emergency, not emergency, but there's a potential financial disaster on the horizon, given the energy we're feeling, that's actually like a different, um, issue to address. That's yeah. like a money story issue to address, yeah. right? And we all have them. All of our listeners have a version of a money story. And it's not fair to these parents to all of a sudden just hoist on their shoulders our money story, right? Yeah. So yes, it's really valuable to ask, why do we care so much? Because it actually might bring up some issues that are different work that we need to do. Yes. Um, so that's what I hear in that and I love it. Yeah. So that's and, my only thought right out of the gate on it because, um, what we're really addressing here from our, um, friend who sent us this note is what's the perspective that he has and yeah. what are the learning opportunities from it? And right? I think the take, yeah. And the takeaway for the audience is your, your reasons aren't going to be mine. You know, yeah, totally. You, definitely you, not you have to do that work yourself. And this goes back to one of the, you know, earliest things that I said in the podcast, which is we don't have business problems. We have us problems that show up in the business. Okay. So question one is why do you care so much? Question two, I think the second question you have to ask is why do I want to change other people so much? And again, Ooh. this is for me only, but if I'm trying to change others to make me feel better, that's not only an incredibly inefficient and ineffective strategy. It's actually not even, you know, addressing the deepest problem, which is me. <laughs> it's of course me. Um, you know, and going back yeah. to my story from a minute ago, it, even if I somehow manage to find these so-called perfect students um, or, you know, I somehow found something, some technique that actually did turn normal students and parents into like dream students and dream parents, I would have avoided the real issue, which is addressing those deeper things inside of me that were act- that was actually causing those thought patterns. Um, and then uh, my discontent would just turn somewhere else. I would have avoided that problem. Yeah. So this is really more. This is really more like that deeper coaching level that that I try to get to with clients, where we don't just look at the surface yes. level, like oh, I'm not getting enough students. It's like, well, okay, we all know the tools. Like, just go back to the previous episode we did last week on you know levels of marketing spend. Um, totally, the whole plan's right there. What's really going on, you know? And a lot of times when I dig down, it's like, oh, I just hate marketing or. Um, like, I'm, you know, I just don't want to waste my time with this. I'd just rather outsource it. And it's just like, well, let's explore those. I mean, this could sound a little cliche or like you might, you might sound skeptical. You might be skeptical when you hear me say this, but like actually exploring that begins to unwind the problem that has led you to be making the, bu- the business decisions you're making. And I point my thumb and all fine figures back at me when I say that, you know, so that's question two. Why do I want to change other people so much and just, 
acknowledging that it is it really isn't an effective strategy because it just it rarely works. <laughs> well, and can I add that we talk oh, all yeah. the time and about this idea of being in the business of transforming lives. And so some people might be like, well, wait a minute, Nate. You say at Brooklyn Music Factory you want students on a seven to ten year journey so that you can be transformative for them. And then, but you're also saying you can't change other people. So what is it? Is it you can mm. change people or you can't change people? I want to just um, highlight what you said. You can create an environment yes. where people feel safe enough to begin to discover alternative paths for themselves. In other yes. words, and ask questions about themselves. And when, Daniel, you're talking about the, some of the coaching work um, that we do, and we work with clients who have these foundational um, sort of, you know, transformative questions for themselves that only are appearing, as you put it beautifully, through the business, right? Um, we can do the exact same thing with our families, yeah. with the parents and with the students by getting them to ask questions, for example, why don't they see themselves as one who could continue to play at home? Yeah. You know, when and we're when we're just d building practice habits, we're actually coaching and mentoring. Yeah. Right? We're not we're not um prescribing a path of check marks and if you just do these check boxes you're going to be fine. No, we're actually saying, "Hey, let's discover a path towards wanting to play." or wanting to write a song at home, et cetera, yes. right? So anyways, that's what we mean, or that's at least what I mean by transformation. Yeah, right? it's, and it's a coaching and mentoring of the student. And by the way, the parent is part of the package. 100%. <laughs> and not, you know, yes, and I would just say that it's the difference between wanting to force it on people and giving an opportunity, you know? And that leads yeah. you to make decisions, you know, um, creatively that leads you to make decisions that would be very different if you were more in that first category. And I, you know, I just think that kind of leads in naturally to some of the creative decisions that you and I have made through our career. Um, you know, the sponsors of this podcast, grouplessons.com, big music games, these are products that we created so that kids mm. could enjoy the less experience more. And they, you know, they weren't created from this place of desperation where it was like, you like, know, here's oh, a God. tactic. Yeah. Here's a tactic <laughs> to do it. It was more like, Oh, I, I noticed kids are having these problems. It seems to decrease their enjoyment. So let me like create a tool that that kind of counteracts that problem where I'm seeing it. That's very, very different than like clutching and grasping and trying to do that. You know, and if you all are interested in learning more about that, um, you can head over to grouplessons.com or bigmusicgames.com slash 7FMS. You can check out those, um, those various tools that you can use in your studio. One is for group piano lessons. The other is, uh, well, Nate, you describe the other. Well, big music games, just ear training, music theory, super fun games for kids ages, ideally ages four to nine, yeah. that you can add to your existing lesson plan that you already have. So, yeah. Yes. Um, Beloved sponsors of our podcast. Uh, should, we, <laughs> should, we, should we move to question three? My third question? Yeah, let's go okay. to question three. I'm, I'm digging this. Cool. So question one Great. was, why do you care so much? Question two was, why do I want to change others so much? Question three, the final question, you know, I have another question when I'm just doing that self-reflection, when I'm finding myself disappointed or just discouraged or, or things of that nature. 
Um, and it could possibly, or should, even should be, the first question, which is, is it even true? Yes. Is it even true that people don't care about music so much? Is it, ev- is it even true? Um, how can we know it's true? Can we absolutely know for certain that it's true? You know, the argument is, well, of course it is. Look at all these people leaving my studio. If they really cared about music, they would have stayed. But let me again go back to my original, um, my original story. What I began to realize was that I had, and I, again, I'm not making the implication about this teacher, but at least for me, mm. there's a surprising correlation between how much attention I paid to students struggling in certain areas of the book and then me getting better at teaching those areas of the book and those kids staying longer. Yes. So if it's our minds are story making apparatuses, they're, they're like a story making computer. And it's interesting to me that when I'm self-reflective and have self-awareness, it tends to be that when I make a story, a lot of times the problem is like out there, something that I can't control. And I think the remedy for this, the ultimate remedy for this is just radically owning even things that are seemingly out of your control, not trying to change others, but trying to be like three, four, five chess moves ahead, given the patterns you've seen in the past, understanding human nature and saying like, huh, well, if everyone seems to be doing this, what can I do to create an environment where this situation won't even happen? Here's one that's obvious. People keep paying you late. Do auto bill. You're creating an environment where you remove that stress entirely. Oh, but Daniel, like people, you know, won't join the studio or they'll be quitting. No, they won't. Because I've seen it done dozens, scores, hundreds of times where studios switch over to that. And and the amount of communication they have around money just drops like practically to zero percent because they did that. That's what I mean by taking ownership of these various problems. It can be a little bit more challenging to see how that's true when it comes to this larger thing. But we have to ask ourselves if it's even true. We have to care less. We have to not build our identity around our job. Um, we don't need our job to provide fulfillment or the student relationships to provide fulfillment. Um, and when we stop looking for that fulfillment in the job, um, only then I think can we truly thrive in our career and show show up as our best selves with our students. And so we kind of just have to eliminate all these thoughts where we assume where we know what others are thinking so that we're not saying, that, you know, because that's then what leads us to say, Oh, you know, if only if only kids cared as much about this as they do about Fortnite. Oh, if only parents cared as much about this. Only if they only treasured the studio. If they only valued what I was doing. We just we actually don't know, and, well, and I think and we have to be honest about that. To this and this is maybe my closing thought on this. I had written down a, a, a bunch of stuff, but really, this last piece you bring up, Daniel, is it, it was my core, which is how do you know? And one of the key um, uh, pivots every studio owner can make is just increasing their conversations with the parents, Mm. having a faster feedback loop, building Mm. relationships with parents where you can be really open and honest around what's actually happening with practice. Because I think we'd all be pleasantly surprised by how receptive parents are to having rich conversations around the lesson experience and what's happening at home. And I think to your point, we are very prone to weaving stories when left alone that lead us down sort of dark paths and thinking, man, what's happening to the culture of our country that people are valuing X over Y, et cetera. Like nobody cares about music anymore, et cetera. These types of things. And 
I have mad empathy for, um, you know, our listener who wrote in with this because I feel it and I've been doing it. I've been teaching for 35 years. And so some of the tactics that have helped me have been simply having more conversations in the community room with more parents, getting to know more of the students within BMF, increasing the frequency with which, with which we do NPS surveys so that I can see what comments parents are actually going to write to us, you know, why they're staying in the studio, asking simple questions of these parents, of the, of the families that are deeply invested, like, hey, why are you so deeply invested in this in music lessons, what do you love about your experience here? And then going to those families, the harder ones, as we were talking about, Daniel, is going back here, is it actually true? Going to the families that seem less invested and just being like, hey, how's your experience? How's practice at home? Is there any way that I can be of benefit to you? Right? Just having conversations. So I think that was it for me. I mean, I've got a whole bucket of bullets on this, but I feel like, Daniel, um, those three questions you're asking really get to the core of the matter, which is we're working on ourselves as we're working on these business issues. Um, and mm -hmm. maybe one last thing I'll say is if we're feeling this this passionately, mm -hmm. then it's probably falling within your zone of genius. In other words, it's something that you really, truly care about and your navigation in terms of what you're doing with your life is not off. Because if you're feeling super passionate about it, it means you're ready to help try to solve this. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.